All right, welcome into the Duck Territory podcast with Matt Preem, Eric Scopel across the way. Hey, guys. Um, talking Oregon basketball on this one, we're going to recap Oregon's 76-64 loss on Friday night at, Cor- at Oregon State in Corvallis. Uh, first round of the Civil War goes the Beavers' way. Uh, we'll talk about where Oregon sits currently going into this weekend's road games at Arizona State and also at Arizona. Both teams are ranked inside the top 20. Uh, and then kind of laying the groundwork of what's to come the next three or four weeks uh, for this basketball team and kind of where they are at. And then we'll talk uh, a little bit about Oregon's struggles uh, and our thoughts at uh, because of that um, in, in Pac-12 play. I, I think it's been pretty clear for the first three games that this is an entirely different team than what we saw in non-conference. Uh, and then... Um, Eric and I will will kind of just give a lay of the land of the Pac-12. It, it's kind of the drunken Pac-12, if you will, of uh, just the outcomes and such that we've seen uh, for the, through the first two weeks or three weeks or two weeks, two weeks, two yeah. weeks of, of Pac-12 play. So, um, getting into the Civil War game, Eric, the Ducks lose seventy-six to sixty-four. I want to say they opened the game up on like an eight-three run. Um, it looked like Oregon was in control for the first four or five minutes, and then it just kind of just went haywire. Well, yeah, I, I mean, they sh- they were given the opportunity to shoot a lot of threes, and they made a couple early, had a little bit of an advantage. They shot 29 threes and made just eight of them. And I think the stat was, I think, nine first of five. The, yeah, first five were threes, and I think nine of their first 11 field goal attempts were threes. They got pretty, pretty they kind of fell in love with the three ball, and it worked a little bit early, then not so much. For the game, they shot terrible. Just I mean, not even just from three-point range, but just from the field, but not offensively just a lot of issues um, to deal with but yeah they started out okay and then but never really I don't think I ever found any offensive rhythm I think you can give Oregon State some credit they, they kind of approached it defensively different than I think Oregon's probably used to a kind of out of their comfort zone they played a 1-3-1 zone which kind of gave Oregon some open shots they weren't able to make those shots and they tried to drive and Oregon State did a good job of collapsing on the ball and forcing turnovers or kind of weird shots but Oregon never found a rhythm offensively. I thought played a very poor first half, but yet we're down just one point. I think uh, Victor Bailey had an opportunity to tie the game midway through the second half. He had a, a fast break layup. He missed it. Um, Oregon State came down and hit a three-point shot. I don't know the exact time on that, but I think it would have been 45-45 had he made it, um, the layup. But he missed it. Oregon State comes back down. I think Trace Tinkle hits a three. Yep. Now five-point game, and Oregon State kind of never looked back. It was... Yeah, that was at about forty-five, forty-three with twelve minutes to yeah. go. Is when Paul White got the layup, or excuse me, Paul White got the steal and fed it to Bailey for the dunk, and then uh, they Paul White again got a, a steal and Bailey missed uh, somewhat reasonable yeah. contested layup. Yeah, it, was, but it probably, wasn't easiest, but but probably something he probably should have been able to convert. I think he made it a little bit more difficult than it needed to be on his own part because he was. Worried about getting blocked, right. um, and then after that, uh, Oregon State went on a seventeen to three run from the eleven forty mark of the game all the way until the five fifty one yeah. mark. That's what the game so was decided. About six minutes of game action, Oregon just withered away. Um, and I want to clarify: I'm not saying Bailey lost in the game. No, absolutely I mean, that, not. That, that just could have been a tying point, but I I, I thought he actually. He and Paul White probably were the only two players who, who played particularly well. Neither of them shot great from the field, but they at least provided some energy. I would have probably said Bailey might have been the most important player, albeit in a 12-point loss. I thought he he provided great energy. He he made some baskets. He was great at defensively, but um, obviously not enough um, from him. And, and you really shouldn't be de- 
you know, probably relying on him to win you basketball no. games in the Pac-12. Um, overall, though, I think this was a game where you look at it and, you know, I don't think the players were willing to admit it. I asked Paul White this. Um, kind of someone asked Dana Altman this question, or actually he just kind of went out and said it. They played harder. They played tougher than Oregon did uh, the Beavers. And I think that's kind of what it just came down to in the second half because you could say there was execution issues for Oregon. You could say, um, you know, there there were some some shots that almost went down and just bad luck. Uh, But for the most part, you know, this is a game that, you know, was squarely – even basically, it was winnable for the first for the minutes. first thirty yeah. minutes of the game, and then something happened with both teams, and Oregon State rose to the top, and Oregon crumbled when you know the competition amped up. Um, and I, I think you've got some major concerns here because we've we've talked about at length about how Kenny Wooten's an important prospect for this team, and you know they spent all week talking about how they need to get Kenny Wooten the ball, how they need to get you know the ball inside into the paint, and Oregon scored 34 points, just as many as as Oregon as uh, Oregon State did in, in the paint. But Kenny Wooten shot one shot. Mm-hmm. He made it. It was a and it wasn't even a, an entry pass. He grabbed right. an offensive rebound, rebound and right. went right up for a dunk uh, and got fouled actually, and, and he missed it. But he, he finished. He fouled out. He he had just one block and he played 13 minutes in this game. And I don't think it was necessarily the moment was too big for him. I just don't think you know he didn't have much help. Down on the on the interior, and he was, you know, Dan almost talked about this at length. How, you know, they're relying too much on him, you know, to to cover up a lot of mistakes. And you've got a freshman who's probably not ready to be that kind of canvas over your entire defense. Right. And he's trying to do it, and he's just not ready for it. And he's getting getting fat. Well, and the the issue I think is, and I think it's, you know, if you wanted to give guys like Sorkin and Cage and even Paul White kind of a run to see if they could provide a little bit of that defensive. Help in, on the inside. And I think they can. right now, I think we can pretty confidently say that they can't. And I think Kenny Wooten right now, and this was one of my keys coming into the Oregon State game, was he has to stay on the floor for 25 to 30 minutes yeah. because they really don't have another option for those other 15. He minutes. almost didn't do half that. And yeah, he, he, and so there's 27 minutes in that game where he's not on the court, which means those are 27 minutes where Oregon doesn't have a very strong rim protector. Because, I, you know, I mean, maybe on the, the right night, Cage or Sorkin or White can step up and defend some shots and make some big plays, but we have not seen consistency, and frankly, we've seen very few instances where either of them have been able to do that. White is really good offensively. I think he led the team with 16 points. He has 13, six rebounds. 13 the first half. White, Paul White played a good game. I think he's a reliable offensive player. I don't think he, you know, he's the guy that was recruited to Georgetown in part to play small forward. He's playing center he's playing power center forward. center power forward at Oregon. That's not really his comfort zone. So Oregon really, outside of Kenny Wooten, doesn't have a guy that's like, I want to go and, and protect right. the rim. And if it wasn't, and if it wasn't for, for Paul White, yeah. uh, Oregon would have been blown out in the first half even because this was a game where Wooten, I think, picked up a foul within one minute of the game. And Dana's kind of strategy with Wooten is if he picks up one of those really early fouls, he immediately pulls him because he knows how important he is and he can't get a second foul two or three minutes into the first half and then can't play the rest of the way. So uh, Paul White comes in at the 19-minute mark and plays all 19 minutes <laughs> yeah. that were left in the first half. And he, he shot four of ten from the field, two of four from the three. He had five rebounds, two offensive Finished with 13 points and he had three assists and one block. Yeah. Um, valiant effort from Paul White. And, it, you know, I, 
Altman said after the, I think it was the Colorado game, he just provides that calming feel and for this basketball team. And I think while he's got his issues at center for Oregon, I think he's just too important to keep off the court. And Oregon's going to have to figure out some way where they can keep him and Wooten on the court together because they're both 6'9". You know, White's shown that he can rebound. Uh, and he, he's kind of that Dylan Brooks type where he can do inside, he can play inside and he can play out. He's actually a pretty good finisher around the basket. Uh, I think he's really proficient at, at getting that foul and then being able to convert it and getting, and getting the three point play. Uh, he had a couple of those situations almost play out against Oregon State. So, you know, this is a, this is a team I think has got a lot of question marks after the Civil War. Um, Altman pulled Elijah Brown for the final four and a half minutes. Yeah. Um, and, and I asked him why he did that and basically said that the, there's a standard that yeah, we have to play at. This is Altman talking and, you know, Elijah Brown wasn't living up to that and it was shot selection. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we spoke, spoke a little bit right now about the interior-ish deficiencies, but I think the perimeter stuff was kind of maybe where the game was lost because they've been so dependent this year on Pritchard and the two Browns to score, and those guys shot, like, a combined 30% from the field yeah. and scored, what, like, 23 points or something like that? Uh, real, real quick, Elijah, Peyton, and Troy combined to shoot 8 of 30 from the field. That's not going to win you a lot of games if that's your and, and, and that's you know your we, big three. I had this question, and this is what I talked about in the column. I had this big question back after the Oklahoma loss up in Portland, where they lost two out of three games of. And they scored twenty one points combined. Twenty one. Of, of where does the offense come from? And we're now over a month later, and I think that question still remains. I, I don't know, you know, when the game gets tough, you know, and, and certainly this game was like I said up for the grabs. I mean, they could have twelve minutes to go if they could have figured something out. They could have they could have flipped this game and, and picked up a big win, but. They just couldn't get buckets, and that's something we've has become painfully obvious this season. I, I think all three are good individual scorers. I just don't necessarily think the fit's very good. And with regards to Elijah Brown, you see more often than not him take shots that are very difficult. Sometimes he makes them. Oftentimes he misses them. He's shooting, I think, just over 40% from the field this season, so obviously not making the majority of his shots. But he's not providing much offense in the rhythm of what they're trying to do offensively. It seems like he is catching, you know, kind of monitoring what he can do and then hoisting a lot. And and those shots haven't been particularly high quality ones. And and frankly, you kind of wonder with all when he pulled in the Civil War, what does he do going forward with right. Elijah Brown? Does he stick in VJ Bailey who played a pretty good game there, who played a heck Bailey of a scored player. eleven points and added three assists and uh, one one rebound in in about eighteen minutes of action. Yeah. I, and he had two steals. Yeah, I, I, I think you got to give that a look. You know, maybe you, you decide to insert VJ Bailey into the lineup and you pull Elijah Brown just because he hasn't been doing much offensively. And that's not to say that Peyton Pritchard or Troy Brown have been a whole lot better. Troy Brown had been better in the first two games of conference play, but Peyton Pritchard has kind of disappeared. I think he's averaging about nine points per game. He was averaging about seventeen in non-conference. Yeah, I was play. actually just going to say this. Uh, in Pac-12 play, Pritchard is, aver- is averaging nine points per game. Mm-hmm. He's three of thirteen from three uh, in the three games that they've played in the season. And the ten games prior to conference play, uh, Pritchard was averaging eighteen points a game. So his average has been cut in half. Yeah. And you look at um, Oregon's games that they have lost. They lost by ten to Utah, and then they lost uh, by twelve to Oregon State. 
and you can you know you don't want to just Oregon's losing because Peyton Pritchard. No, it's we're not, not saying that, yeah. but that's you know you're looking at a, a, a basically a, an 11 point average of why Oregon's losing, and over the last three games, and the, the biggest I think is Pritchard's scoring average has been cut in half. Whether that's him in a shooting slump, which he's in, uh, whether that's opponents making it a focal point to shut him down and make someone else beat beat them, I think that's also playing into the factor. And no one on Oregon's kind of rising to the that you know to the top to help you know Pritchard along. Uh, but Oregon's in a funk right now, and it you know just like in quarterback and football, the point guard's kind of your trigger man for your offense and for your defense. And right now, Oregon's point guard isn't. Is in a slump, and yeah. Oregon's got to find a way to get it's, him out of it. It's been slow starts. I think he has one made field goal in three first halves so far in Pac-12 play, which is not not great. I think he's like one for nine shooting, so that needs to change. And you know, the unfortunate thing is Oregon is one and two right now, and you look up on the schedule, and the, we'll talk about it in a minute. Pac-12 is crazy, so it's yeah. really hard to assess like who the top four teams are. But if you go based purely on preseason rankings and kind of on the talent. They play the Arizona schools that are probably are right, you know, considered ranking wise the top two teams, and then the LA schools, which talent wise in terms and in terms of preseason predictions were the other top teams. So they're arguably playing the four best teams in the conference right now. They're one and two. If they don't get some wins here, this could fall apart really quickly. And and you kind of look ahead and you go, where does nine ten wins kind of come from? Yeah. You know, and if we're talking about an NCAA tournament berth, then obviously that feels kind of like a Distant shot right now, but there's a ton of time remaining. But boy, they put themselves in a tough spot. Yeah, that kind of goes into our next segment here of kind of what's next for Oregon and um, for NCAA tournament discussion. And is Oregon going to make it to the tournament for the sixth straight year, which would be a program best because they set the program best last year with five straight. Um, so they're, they're kind of on this run of you know, greatest you know, runs in Oregon history over. Five, four, three, two-year periods. Right. Um, and, and does Oregon want to continue that? And they currently sit eleven and five. They're one and two in the Pac-12. Uh, they are basically t- currently like I think tied for eighth in the Pac-12. Um, and the only team behind them is Washington State, who's zero and three. But Arizona State, Oregon, and Cal are all one and two. And then you look at. Utah, USC, and Colorado two and two, and then such a, a weird a, a just jangled bunch of teams from two and one to three and one. But you, you don't want to say that you know these are must win games in the middle of January because, like you said, there's a ton of basketball to be played. Uh, but if Oregon wants to have a chance at getting an at large berth prior to the NCAA, prior to the Pac-12 tournament, you know, not have you know work to do, having to win two games or you know. You don't want to have to say Oregon needs to get to the conference championship game to be able to secure their at-large bid. You want, you know, you're okay with hey, let's just win one game and, and you're in. That's doable. But once you get past that, it gets real dicey, and you're putting you're, you're playing the percentages, and that's when it gets low. Uh, the next two or three weeks here is going to really dictate what Oregon's setup is going into February, going into March. With their non-conference schedule, uh, not having really much of a resume win, and Oregon knowing what they have to do, because on Thursday they play at Arizona State. This is their chance to get a huge marquee win, because I think they match up really well with the Sun Devils uh, from a, from a personnel standpoint. Obviously, ASU is an experienced team, uh, and they are very athletic and very talented. But if you look at Arizona and you look at Arizona State, Arizona State's not a big team. No. And 
they they have similar type of players that Oregon does. They like to go four guards, one big. They like to push the tempo really fast. You know, I think this is a game that Oregon kind of matches up with. And, the, and ASU is the ninth best team in the RPI for the NCAA. So if you're looking for what's Oregon's signature win, Thursday could be it. Thursday could be that chance to or, for Oregon to go in, get a top 10 win, a signature win. Because, look, Arizona State hung with Arizona. Uh, they knocked off Kansas. They've blown out uh, Vanderbilt. They've beaten Xavier on a neutral floor. Um, this is a team that is going to be in the NCAA tournament, at large or not, and probably a team that's going to be a top five seed. And if you can get a road win at their place, that's huge mm-hmm. for for your RPI standings. And then you've got a road game on Saturday at Arizona, another top twenty four, uh, top twenty five RPI team. They're twenty fourth in the country in the NCAA RPI. Um, and then next weekend at home here in Eugene, the Ducks have USC, who's fifty sixth in the RPI, and, and UCLA, who's forty fourth. So that's basically four opportunities at top yeah. fifty win. Oregon's got to find a way to get two and two, three and yep. one, almost. Uh, if, if you want to have an opportunity to play in a, a tournament, uh, an NCAA tournament as an at-large team, you need to go three and one, two and two, and you know three. I'm leaning almost more towards three and one than two and two in this situation. Two and two puts you at at three and four. It makes you at least feel like you have a. You're chance. still in the discussion, right? But if you go, if you go, if you get, if you lose all four games, or you go one and th- one and three, now you're looking at two and five, which is not where you want to be, especially with. You know, a tough backhand to the schedule there too. You know, the, the last four games there are going to be really tough to win. So they they need to they need to win some games on the road this weekend, probably if not sweep the two LA schools at home. The good thing is, like you said, this does provide kind of an opportunity for some marquee wins because yeah. they don't have any top fifty wins that they can pick up. Any, basically, any win they're going to get is going to be the best win they have on the season yep. out of this next four. Um, if they can go down to Arizona schools and pick up a win there, that would be huge. If, yeah. they could, if they can sweep both the home games, that would be huge. I think I mean, reali- realistically, it's probably going to be tough to do any of that. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I, I could see a scenario where they end up 2-2 two and two and you feel pretty good about it. But if they go 3-1, and one, that's huge for where this team is going, especially from how poorly they've looked over the last couple of weeks. I, I, I think, obviously, the, the most obvious perfect case scenario is they go 4-0. and oh, But that's probably not... Pretty incredible. That's not really realistic... I think to say that, you know, Oregon's going to go out and sweep these four teams. And, you know, do they have the talent to do it? Sure, absolutely. You know, but we've seen through the first 16 games of the season that, you know, just because you have a a collection of individually talented players, it it doesn't always mesh. It doesn't always click. Um, If you can get to two and two or three and one out of these four games, that, Let's say they go two and two. That puts you at three and four in Pac-12 play. And then you've got an Oregon State home game, uh, road games at Cal and Stanford, two teams who theoretically Oregon is much more talented than. Right. Um, and, and you get those two more wet road wins and you come back home again and you've got a top 50 game against a Washington team who's currently 12 and four and a lot better than people expect. And, you know, is probably in that borderline in. NIT, NCAA discussion, you know, they need a couple more wins to get into the tournament, but, you know, they're in that, you know, that neck of the woods type discussion, and you, you win those two games, and your season is back on track. Right. You, you've, you then find yourself having two or three signature wins. You find yourself probably inside the top 60 of the NCAA RPI. And the 117th right now. Yeah. And you don't necessarily are in the clear but you can see your end destination. It's not like 
oh, wow, there's a ton of upheaval we have to do to, to get there. Or, you know, wow, we need to win the conference tournament to even have a chance to get, you know, to obviously win the conference tournament you're in. Um, but it doesn't make it look so impossible. And so that's why the next two weeks for Oregon basketball, three, if you count the Civil War, yeah. is just a critical junction of, of this team. And we talked about it before the Civil War, how it was a really important game and they needed to win that one. And it wasn't a make or break, but if they lost, it put them in a deep hole, and this is a deep hole that they're in. Right, and I think if just looking back at what they need to do, I think if they could get really hot and hit a bunch of jump shots, and you know that's one thing that through three conference games they have not shot the ball well. They shot pretty well against Colorado in their one league win, but in their two losses they shot the ball very poorly. Right, and if they can come out here and shoot the lights out against I don't know any of these teams, they give themselves a shot. The issue is when they're forced to try to be a ground, you know, kind of grind out a game, play really good defense, I'm not sure they have the right makeup either mentally or physically to really win defensive-minded games. At least they haven't really shown it this year. They probably are, you would argue, maybe 0-4 in those type of games, or maybe 1-4 if you count the Fresno State game as one of those, but haven't really been faced with many situations where they've had success, you know, in a game that's one in the 70s. and. So they can go out there and they can find something offensively, and they can go out there and score 85 points. They give themselves a shot to win. Now, I just don't know if that's going to happen because what we've seen through three games in league play is just not a very good offensive basketball team, which is frankly kind of surprising. Because not because we look at the roster and go, this team is chock full of blue chip talent, which yeah. it is, but more because Oregon just historically under Dane Altman has had so much success scoring, and it's almost always been on the other side that they've had problems. Yeah, they're the worst scoring team in the Pac-12 at 65.7 points per game. Uh, they have the second best scoring defense in Pac-12 play at 68. I think you know who they've played has a little bit to say about you know who, how many points they've given up because I don't think Colorado, Utah, right. and Oregon State are necessarily you know, barn burners right. um, on the on the offensive side of the field, but. You know, Oregon's offensive shooting woes is just terrible. Uh, second worst field goal percentage in, in conference play at 42%. Uh, they're ninth in the conference in rebounding margin. I think, you know, Altman, before the season started, talked about how much of a concern their rebounding was going to be. I don't know if he maybe thought it was going to be this bad. Right. Um, and then they've got the worst assist average in the, in the conference at 9.7 in conference play. And, you go back to what Dana Altman has talked about the last three or four weeks is there's no ball movement off offense. No one's sharing the basketball. That's reflective in assists, and it's also reflective in field goal percentage uh, and also reflective in, in their scoring po- points per game. Uh, their rebounding has been inconsistent. That's reflective in the ninth uh, best rebounding margin. Uh, and, and I think they're giving up almost three points per game uh more than they are averaging in Pac-12 play, and that's you know that's reflective in your defensive inconsistencies and your inability to grab rebounds and uh, allow putbacks. There was a point in the Civil War where I think Oregon State had like six or seven offensive rebounds that resulted in I want to say twelve points yeah. uh, for for OSU, and you, you you cut that in half, you cut that in its entirety. There's the game right, right there. Um, Moving forward, looking at the Pac-12 as a whole, I think the one positive, Eric, is that for the most part, the league has not settled itself well, yet, and there's no idea of who's good and who's bad. I was going to say, Oregon's still what, one and a half games out of first place right now because yeah. the UCLA is 3-1, and one, Arizona and a number of other schools are 2-1, and one, so Oregon's really one game out of a lot of these teams. They're actually tied with Arizona State because yeah. Arizona State's had difficulty. And the thing is that's been really weird 
is that teams that we don't think are good are beating teams that we thought were good. Yeah. So there's no real con- – I have no concept of who's really good. Like Colorado gets swept in pretty dominant fashion on the road in Oregon. At Oregon State. And at Oregon and Oregon State. And just that road trip, they lose by about 15, 20 points both games. Come home and they swoop the Arizona schools. Yeah. Like, what's, <laughs> like, what's going on? That's, that's, that's crazy. And then Stanford last night, I'm not sure if people saw yeah. this. Beat USC where Jordan McLaughlin of, UC, of USC scored a layup with 1.6 seconds to go ahead, and then uh, was it Dejon Davis yep. for Stanford hits a half court shot, kind of reminiscent of the Boise State game, makes it. They win that game. They go ahead and sweep the LA schools at home after they lost to Cal, who we thought was the worst team in conference at home the previous week. So there's a lot. Yeah, of, Stanford beat UCLA earlier in the yeah, week too. Yeah, Stanford beat USC and UCLA after losing to Cal. So all these weird things where teams we don't think look good one week look good the next, and then Washington last week goes and beats. Uh, USC on their home floor, and then this past weekend they they beat Washington State, and they're two and one in Pac-12 play. You've got Oregon State at two and one in Pac-12 play. Utah sweeps the Oregon schools yep. below, then loses to the Arizona schools at home. Then there's just no consistency. So the good thing is it's a really muddled conference. We don't really know what to expect. Who knows? Oregon could just go in here and start winning games that we don't expect them to win. Everything is right in the world, and they're ahead in the conference. But it has been so bizarre to follow just the conference right now, and. And probably to the league's detriment in terms of its tournament hopes. Because oh yeah, absolutely. Team, because the teams that we thought, like we thought Arizona, and Arizona State were locks to be pretty good seeds. If they keep losing games to the Colorados and you know Utah's, Utah's of, the of the world, then you look up and they're in a, they're in a tough spot. So it it has been a very strange kind of first couple weekends in the Pac-12. But for Oregon, probably a good thing because they're not playing well, and it doesn't seem like anybody else is playing consistently either. Yeah, you look at the top four teams that were picked in the conference: uh, Arizona, USC, UCLA, Oregon. Uh, USC's two and two in Pac-12 play at start. Oregon's one and two. So you got half your top four, yeah. uh, not even close to living up to expectations. And you got some surprises in Washington, OSU, Stanford, uh, and I would say even Arizona State. You know, they were thought to be middle of the road and, you know, they're clearly, you know, one and two in Pac-12 play, but overall they're much better than, right. than what was the expected top of them. Yeah. Conference right now. Um, so, uh, you know, it's not, the season isn't over for Oregon. No. They're not backs up against the wall yet, um, but they're a couple feet in. You know, they dug a couple feet of a hole to to get themselves out of. Um, and it, it's just each week it seems like it's that hole is just getting slightly deeper uh, for them to having to crawl out of. And that makes this weekend's games uh, at Arizona State Friday, uh, Thursday night, 7 p.m. on Fox Sports One, and then a Saturday game. Uh, at Arizona, it's an 11 a.m. tip here Pacific. I think that's noon Mountain Time on ESPN two, uh, and then back home next you know the next two weeks of uh, USC, UCLA, and Oregon State. You know they've got to be able to go three and two, four and one uh, yeah. in that stretch uh, to get themselves back to basically square one uh, and step one of, of of the process of getting to the NCAA tournament again. So. Uh, there's room to be done. Yeah. Um, there's sure. certainly chances to be had to get yourself uh, back in position. Um, but the question is going to become, does Oregon find a way to, to, to solve these issues? And I think to close this, this podcast, Eric, yeah. you think they can get, you think they can, they can solve things? Will we see a team, you know, going into February, uh, with a game at California? I think that's the, I think that's the beginning of February. Uh, do they have an opportunity, you know, do things drastically look different for Oregon uh, at Cal in about a month? You know, the good thing for Oregon is that they've had so much success in that back nine in terms of turning things around. The bad news is that they really have to make some work up here early. Um, I, 
I think you look at what they've got going ahead, and if they could finish the first nine games at five and four, they'd be in incredibly good shape. If they could finish at four and five, you'd almost take it just because of how hard things are. Um, my, my confidence level is not very high right now, though, just because I'm not seeing a, a, a really collective unit. It seems like you've got a lot of good individual talent that really hasn't found, you know, its rhythm together. You know, and again, it's still it's 16 games into the year, so it's sort of still early, but it's also enough games where you should have kind of an idea of what you're doing and part who of who you are, yeah, and who you are as a team. And I, part of me wonders if what happens if this team does go on a more of a losing streak here, and if they get swept on the road, if they lose to the LA schools what's the mindset of this team? You know, I just haven't seen that kind of tough-minded group, you know, with the last couple of years with, with Brooks and Bell, those guys, it seemed like when things got tough, they really kind of put, you know, pull things together. I don't know if you see that from this team because the senior leaders, you know, McIntosh and Brown and I guess Pritchard would be the other leader on the team. I haven't really seen kind of that, hey, you know, settling kind of calming force from those three. It seems like they're kind of, when things get tough, they get frustrated. They, you know, they don't play, you know, kind of the game that all they wants them to play. And, and that's where I'm concerned is that I'm, I'm almost more concerned about kind of the mental factor than I am with what's going on on the court. Yeah, I, I think this week is going to be a pretty defining week for the 2017-18 basketball season for the Ducks. Um, I think this week leading up to Thursday's game is going to be probably pretty intense from a practice standpoint. Uh, based off of the comments Altman said after the Civil War. I mean, he came out and said that, you know, paraphrasing here, but he basically doesn't believe that the guys are, are trusting in him and yeah. what he's saying of their deficiencies. And he says it's showing on the court that they don't do that because we continue to make the same mistakes. Um, I think this is going to be a pivotal point, and I think we're going to see probably some lineup changes some rotation changes. I think some guys are going to play a little bit more than they have previously. I think some guys are going to play a little bit less than they than they have previously. Um, and I, it's not I'm maybe I'm a little two half classes type full type of guy. Uh, I think Altman is going to pull some strings here, and they're going to get a sweep. They're going to get a, a I almost said a sweep. They're going to get good lord. Man. They're going to get a, a split. Uh, they're going to beat Arizona State, and they're going to get that signature win. And then, you know, going into that Arizona game, it's just like you said. I worry about this team's mental confidence right now. And that Arizona game is just all going to be about keeping it close, keeping us, you know, thinking we have a shot throughout the entire game and don't get, you know, blown out by 30. Right. Because the after that Arizona game, you've got you've got a situation where theoretically, I think Oregon's got the talent where they could rip off six or seven straight wins in conference play. Um, so I think Oregon, you know, I think there's going to be some changes made. I think Oregon's going to play harder on Thursday. They're going to get that road road win at Arizona State. Uh, and I, I'm not going to say they're going to be fine, but I think they're going to take a step forward the next couple of weeks here uh, for Oregon basketball. So for Eric and myself, Matt Prame, thanks for listening uh, to the podcast. We'll be breaking down on Monday again the Arizona trips. Uh, and, and what we have learned and kind of resetting the stage of the Pac-12 after that. So uh, until next Monday, you can follow us on iTunes by going and searching for the Duck Territory podcast. You can go to DuckTerritory.com with Duck Territory with Educk. Still getting that name right. Yeah. Um, with uh, Eric, myself, Kevin, Steve Summers. Um, lots of recruiting coverage on on there for football, team coverage as well for basketball as we're in full swing for both of those beats. Uh, but until we talk to you on Monday, thanks for listening and we will talk to you soon. See you guys.